how about we don't try and make food perfect because it's not perfect, just like life's not perfect. If you're recycling, that's awesome. But you also need to look at all these other pieces and you don't have to be doing them perfectly. The first step is reduce, then reuse, then recycle. They are in order. Get inspired by people fighting to make this world better for everyone. This is Unwasted with Imperfect. Hello and welcome back to the Unwasted podcast. It's my honor every week to talk to experts in food, health, and sustainability. Today's guest is someone I wanted to talk, meet and talk with for quite a long time now. She's a chef, wellness expert, and self-professed feelings enthusiast, and an overall force for positivity in the food and wellness industry. And we're honored to have her on the podcast today. Sophia Rowe, welcome to the Unwasted podcast. That was such a wonderful welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, it's so nice. It's really great to have you here. You know, we're recording this in early April in the middle of the COVID-19 pandemic. So I would be remiss if I didn't start with how are you doing? That I'm actually really happy that you brought it up um, because some people are just trying to just kind of like push it under the rug. So I am as okay. I'm okay right now. Sometimes I'm not. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'd like to hold space for the times that I'm not. I'd say we probably in here in New York, we've actively been practicing quarantine for a little over a month. Yeah. So, or like about, I think like about a month. Yeah. It's maybe a little bit like March 8th, 9th, something like that. And um, that's a very strange thing. So it's, you know, like, am I okay? Like right now? (laughs) But like maybe not in an hour. Yeah, you know, what it's very been, interesting. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, I'm in the Bay Area. So I think we started quarantine like a couple of days before New York did. So it's been, mm-hmm. I think, about a month at this point. Mm-hmm. It's kind of wild. All the all the cliches are true. Like all my days are bleeding together. Like I cannot, for the life of me, remember what day of the week it is. Never. And I yeah. and I will swear it's Wednesday, and it's in fact Thursday or Tuesday. So and yeah. weekends are not a thing anymore. They don't yeah. matter. They don't mean anything. It's very, you know, I, I think it's just, there is a lot of, feels like sometimes there's a lot of pressure to be productive yes. and I'm really trying my hardest to just like put that away yeah. and just hold space for what, whatever passes the time is totally fine. Yeah. Like, I, I think it's totally fine. If, if it's like, if it's puzzles all day, reading all day, if you want to be really great on social one day, if you want to cry all day, one day, whatever gets you through. Yeah, hundred percent. I feel that. I mean, for me, it's like, I think the biggest change has been just like a breakdown of boundaries. You know, like I do my work in the same space that I, I chill out or relax in. So for me, it's been really weird to just be like, okay, I'm in like hangout fun mode now, even though I've moved centimeters, you know, like it's just totally. like, yeah. totally your work like bleeds into things that it didn't normally. Now it's like really interesting. I, I think the thing is, is like now everything is so digital everything. And I never found myself wanting to just like have a regular phone call more in my life Yeah, because now it's like, everything's a zoom, everything's Instagram lives, everything. It's like, I just like, cannot wait until I just have like a normal phone call (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) or like just a coffee. When I'm able to just have a coffee with someone that's like, I miss people like so much. I'm such a people person and I never took that for granted before, but it's definitely something I will never be I, I mean, I, I cannot exist without it. I am a city girl for yeah. sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, definitely adjusting to a new normal here. And uh, mm. it seems like for the foreseeable future, but it's good to hear you're doing well. You know, I'd love to to start here with like a little bit about your background. You know, I know you and I have, have something in common, which is we, we both spent time in the professional culinary world at some point in our lives and have kind of evolved out of that. And since then, so I'd love to hear like, why were you drawn to the culinary world in the first place? And what did it teach you about food? 
Well, I really wasn't. Uh, I mean, it wasn't like, I mean, food definitely was a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly was I, was I not, I'm going to be a chef. I'm going to yeah. grow up and I'm going to be a chef. You know, I was in college for something completely unrelated. I was like a mm. music major. Um, and you know, I didn't, you know, I was a foster care kid. I didn't have a lot of guidance. And so, you know, it was really easy for me to just like flunk out of college and need a job. So I needed a job. I just needed somewhere that would just pay me money. Never did I think like food was a way for me to have a career because I just saw so many male chefs. I just Mm -hmm. never thought about that path for me. This was like, 2007, you know, you're starting to see presence, but I'm like 18 and I literally don't know anything about anything. Um, but I, it basically was me dropping out of college and needing a job and lying to get a job at a Vietnamese restaurant. So I told them that I knew how to use a knife and I didn't. Um, and they learned pretty swiftly that I did not in fact know how to use a knife, but yeah. I got the job anyway. They taught me how to use a knife and I just fell in love. And that was, I, I, bo- I bopped and bounced around. I went to culinary school in California. I went to CIA. I dropped out again. I always make a joke that I'm a two-time college dropout. Um, so like college <laughs> for one reason or another, just like didn't work for me. Yeah. Um, I worked in a few restaurants in Healdsburg, California. Then I moved back to Florida and did the private chef thing. And that really was a beautiful space for me to learn about my style. I didn't really know what my style was in food. Um, people always ask, what kind of food do you make? And I, you know, I was like, I just didn't really know how to answer that. And now my answer is like, I make food for people that are hungry. Like that's my answer. Like I just, whatever you want, I want to make you what you want. When you go to a restaurant, you're eating the chef's food, their food. At my restaurant, in my home, I want to make you what you want to eat. Mm-hmm. That's my big focus. And I think that's why the private chef thing really was so great because, you know, I, I had such an enjoy, like there was such an enjoyable feeling of being able to ask a family of four, what do you want for dinner? And give each person exactly what they wanted every day. Yeah. Even if the answer was, I want the same thing every day or I want completely different things every day. Um, I also love parameters and I Mm. learned that being a private chef. I love when someone wants something. I love when someone says to me like, I want sushi, but I'm a vegan, you know, or I want, you know, oh gosh, I'm craving a steak, but I don't eat meat or I want to have hollandaise, but I don't do eggs. Like I love when someone gives me something that I have to kind of figure it out. Uh, I think that that has really been helpful for me extending my skill level and my knowledge in the kitchen. I think it's one thing to be able to make something really traditional and classic, but it's a whole other thing to be able to make something yummy and delicious when there are a lot of parameters. I don't think anybody should have to go without, you know? Yeah. No, I I agree with you 100%. You know, constraint is such a powerful motivator for cooking. And I've definitely experienced that recently with with COVID, you know, just being able to shop much less frequently. I've had to become a more creative, intuitive cook precisely because of the constraints, which is it it can be really frustrating. But also, if you really (laughs) lean into it, actually, it can be really empowering. Like I've felt better about my cooking recently than I have in a while, I think, because of that, because of the constraint. But it definitely takes adjusting to it. It does. I also think like to talk about COVID because we're here in it, yeah. you know, the, the only thing that I'll say that I that the only positive of this entire situation is that I see more people cooking than ever before. Yeah, totally. So I agree. I, I love that. And that makes me just, I mean, I just light up inside and I, you know, I've, 
I'm kind of one of those funny people, like, or those funny chefs that like, you know, people are like love chef's table and they love those kinds of shows. I have a hard time with shows like that because I feel like they make people feel like that they can't do it. You know, I have so many friends that are like, I watch chef's table and I'm like, Oh, I can never do that. And I'm like, okay, well that guy's been doing that for, he's, he's done that for 50,000 hours, you know, like cooking is what makes us human. It's something that we can all do. It's something that we, we, we have to do, you know? And I, I don't like anything that makes, that makes a person feel like they're not qualified to do it. You know, everybody is qualified to feed themselves. And I think that this, this kind of, these kinds of parameters really teach you. Like if you don't have lemon, like champagne vinegar will, will work. If you don't have champagne vinegar, then, oh my gosh, maybe try a little soy sauce. Like there are a lot of different ways to create a flavor that you're looking for, you know, like who cares if they don't have any frozen vegetables because you can buy fresh and make them frozen yourself, Mm -hmm. you know, which I think is just interesting. I think it's nice when people are self-reliant in the kitchen. They can, you can figure it out. That's what chefs do. Yeah. You know, problem solvers, a hundred percent. All we do. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you make a great point too about uh, food media. I think it's great that food media has risen as much as it has. I think we're aware of cooking in a new way, but to Mm -hmm. your, your point, uh, the downside is it is intimidating. If you're only watching like Bobby Flay or like Kat Cora cooking or one of these chef's table people, you would be forgiven for thinking, wow, that's too complicated. It's too technical. They have these crazy, sharp, expensive knives and I could never do that. But like, if you only ever knew about tennis by watching Serena Williams playing, it's like, oh, I could never play tennis. Like, But yeah, she's a seasoned professional totally. who spent her whole life honing her craft. And so anyone can play tennis. If you want to play tennis, like get out there, you know, buy a racket and a ball and practice. And it's that's the same it. Same with cooking. You, you got to get those reps. And, you know, I think those of us that have spent time in the, the food world professionally, are, are blessed in that we just got those, we were forced to get those reps, right? But mm-hmm. it sounds like on some level, we're all in need of them. And at this point, we're all realizing that collectively, you know, if you didn't have them before, it's like, now's the time to practice. Cause like, yeah, you got to feed yourself. You literally don't have a choice. You can't like, you know, this, like there are still like some places there's limited seamless, there's still some Uber eats, but for the most part, we're home. You're at least cooking one meal a day for yourself. Yeah. And I think that it's like, like you said, you know, if Gordon Ramsay cooks confit, I couldn't possibly do it, but I want you to know that it's the easiest thing in the world and it doesn't need to be fancy. In fact, like, look how it is literally something in oil. Like it's the easiest thing in the world to do. And a great way to use food that's about to go bad. Like pickling, this used to be like something that we just did. We pickled everything. This just just shouldn't be like this, like, (gasps) you make your own pickles. That's so hard. Like it's, it's not a challenging thing, you know, making a sauce, making a dressing, you know, like uh, people want to know like what makes restaurant food taste so good. And I'm like, well, technically it's acids, salt, you know, Mm -hmm. cutting fat with something. But like, when you really think about it, it's really just thinking ahead and technique. And as long as you, as long as you have those things, as long as you're thinking ahead, Hmm, what do I want for dinner? Hmm. And I've got the the one technique for it. The recipe part, like is kind of irrelevant. Like you don't need like what recipe, like if you know how to make a salad dressing, you know how to make all the salad dressings there are. Mm-hmm. You don't need a recipe for salad dressing. You know yeah. what I'm saying? You got to know the so, principles though, under, the principles yes. underlying salad dressing, and then you can make any dressing. Any forever. Like yeah. it never really like shifts or changes. The only thing that shifts or changes is the fun stuff. Yeah. The no, imagination part, Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, that's a great point. You dropped a term that I personally love, but want to make sure anyone listening knows about, which is confit. Can you explain yeah. what a confit is and why is it something <laughs> folks should try? Well, it's basically anything you cook in oil. 
It's basically cooked or submerged in oil. Okay. Typically you're seeing like meat done this way. Like you, I don't know one person who's not heard like duck confit somewhere. They've seen yeah. it on a menu. They maybe avoid it. Don't know what it is. Think it's weird. Literally, it's just something cooked in oil. Yeah. You can do tomatoes, peppers, garlic, onions, green onions. Uh, you can even do like a sweet confit, you know, which for like citruses, things like that. Oh, yeah. Um, more like, I mean, I wouldn't call it sweet, but just not, not traditional. It's not traditional to see it, but you see like preserved lemons. It's basically the confit version of that. Um, I think it's a wonderful, wonderful condiment. Yeah. It's great salad dressing, good on, I don't care what you're eating it on, whether you're like throwing garlic confit on your roasted vegetables or you're putting it as a, maybe in a pesto soup, stew, the list goes on and on. It's a wonderful, wonderful way to use up an ingredient and not throw it in the garbage. So I've been encouraging that method right now hugely because a lot of people are trying to get as much life out of their food as possible. You can make confit and store it in your refrigerator for three to four months. Yeah. You know, and you don't have to use olive oil. Use whatever oil you have. I've seen yeah. chefs break it up with canola, which isn't my favorite oil, but still, yeah. you know, I see people use ghee. It's just a, a really, really wonderful technique that is so easy. I've talked about it on my Instagram a ton. Yeah. I have like all the how-tos and it's something that I don't know how many messages I must get at least three messages a day. You know, I never thought I could make something like this because it always thought just because of the name, it was difficult, yeah. but it was so easy. So easy. Just That's some a, garlic herbs. hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah. I definitely would echo that and plug garlic confit. It's one of the simplest, most magical things a home cook can make. I think it's like so <laughs> delightful every time. Just yeah, I know. It feels like you're doing a science experiment or like alchemy, you know, in your kitchen. It just transforms this tough Amazing. garlic into this like melty, buttery, sweet thing. It's, yeah. And you don't even have to cook. It doesn't even, yeah. it just does it. You put pot in the yeah. pot, low, walk away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I think you bring up a good point too, that I think sometimes cooking has a unfortunate reputation of seeming difficult just because of all the terminology. You know, a lot of it has these old school, like French terms, which I think it has a common problem with the wine world where wine can seem yes. really complicated if you've never gotten into it. Cause there's so much jargon, these acronyms, all this like banter that industry insiders use that has now become commonplace. But a lot of us have never actually heard like, what does that mean? Or like, why should I try that? Like, why should I care about a confit? Yep. Why should I care mm -hmm. about making a stock or something? Is it actually that hard? Like, and the answer I found is almost always no, but you need someone to give you that like key, you know, to like break into the concept. Yeah. Just letting some people like make it a little bit more relatable, which I feel yeah. like is my brand as a chef is like, yeah. nah, like you got this. Like we can, like, I promise, like we can figure this out. Like I live in like a tiny little apartment in Bed-Stuy and sometimes the only thing open is the bodega, but the bodega always has a garlic. They always have green onions. Yeah. They always have white onions. You're going to, we're going to, we got this. We got you this. Know, there's yeah. a way to literally make things flavorful with like five things. People expect my pantry essentials to be so insane. They expect yeah. it to be like these like wild, crazy chefy ingredients. I'm like good kosher salt, good olive oil, a miso, <laughs> soy sauce, yeah. like basics. Like those are my like basic essentials. Like I, I always have some kind of nut or seed around you know, is really great. But like, for the most part, I don't think people need, do I think yuzu is amazing? Do I have yuzu koshu in my house? You bet your ass I do. But, <laughs> but like, like I'm not, that's not like a pantry essential for me. Yep. Yeah, tomatoes yeah. in a can, tomatoes in a can are a pantry essential. I believe everybody should have some kind of canned tomato. I don't care if it's San Marzano, find a brand you like that's just yep. tomatoes. 
citric acid, maybe some basil and you're good to go. Like, I yeah. think that we just, the, the one thing about this quarantine time is just like, let's simplify. Yeah. Like huh. really simplify. Definitely. Well, well said. I think those are all great, um, great pantry staples to have. As, Thanks. You don't, you don't need that many. No, it's such a good point. I mean, I've got a really over the top spice rack, but when I look at which ones I actually use the most often, it's like five or six, maybe, you know? Right. Crazy. Yeah. It's like, yeah. Oh, I guess I use my, maybe I use my cumin a lot Yeah. or like I use like, you know, I definitely have my favorite like vinegars. Like I'm a champagne vinegar, red wine vinegar fan. Yeah. Like I, you know, but I, but meanwhile, my pantry, I've got 50 vinegars in my pantry, (laughs) you know, but like for the most part, like, am I not like there's Marmite in my pantry too. Am I using that on every day? You know what I'm saying? Like, (laughs) yeah. Like you're not using that stuff a lot. Yeah. There's some ingredients that are like fun ingredients. And there's some that are like, I bought this because I, it's a workhorse. I use it every day and it's it's fine to have both, but it's good to recognize the difference. Like, yeah, exactly. And make sure that people know, like, I think sometimes what people are wanting and they don't even have the language for it. And this is what I'm always trying to explain is people are like, I want to make something that tastes good. And I think what they mean to say is they want flavorful. Yeah. You know, and in order to understand like flavorful food, you have to expand your palate in some way. Yeah. And I think that that's the part that we're like missing. I mean, people eat the same things. They go to a restaurant, they order what they like, they order what they know. Yeah. You know, it's really important to ex- expand as much as you possibly can. And yeah, I tell people all the time when you're making a sauce, taste each part, taste yeah. the lemon, taste the oregano, taste the walnut oil. Don't just make the recipe. Yeah. Taste the elements of the recipe so that you have an understanding for like what your palate goes for and like what it doesn't go for. Cause some people really just have no idea. Yeah. That's such a great point about tasting. You know, it's like, no, like my brother's an artist and no painter like deliberately blindfolds themselves while painting. Like that <laughs> yeah. would be ludicrous. And like no uh, musician is like going to practice with earplugs in so they can't hear what they sound like. No, you, you need to embrace every single micro part of the process so that you can understand like, how do you play that chord? You know, how do you make that color blend that looks awesome? And uh, definitely I feel like it's the same with, with cooking and you've got to, until you know exactly how everything tastes and works together, it's, it can be hard to build flavorful food in part because you don't understand the component flavors fully. So yeah, definitely agree with that. It's huge. I think that like, especially in, I mean, I always think about this too, in terms of food waste, because like food waste is something I'm extremely passionate about. And I think that's why even like the sort of recipes and things that I make are very kind of like sort of incumbent on like that, like really wrinkly pepper. Like that's the one we want. Like that's the most flavorful one. Like don't toss it. You know, I'm, I think that people buy things cause like they'll still read this really cool article about it, but then like, don't really know what to do with it, Yeah, you know? So it just sits and kind of goes bad. I mean, I don't know how many people tell me like I buy things so and they sit in my fridge yeah. cause like I get anxious. I don't know what to do. Like I think, you know, people think like radishes, well, unless I'm eating a salad, I can't eat radishes. And I'm like, no, like you can roast radishes. You can saute radishes. They're great I mean, sauteed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Delicious. I mean, literally delicious sauteed. You can dip them in things. Like there's a ton of different things. So like so much about even what like inspires an, an idea or content or like a recipe is like, what is an ingredient that people usually like let go bad? You know, mm. they, they look really like sad in the grocery store in the corner. Like nobody knows what the hell to do with persimmons, you know, cause they just, <laughs> they don't know when they're good. They don't know when they're in season. Nobody yeah. knows how to do what to do with an artichoke. So they always just end up looking really sad in the fridge. You know, you buy them cause they're pretty or whatever. You take yeah. pictures of them at the farmer's market, but you don't actually like <laughs> cook them, you know, like those are the things I think about because I feel like if with one or two little, like 
light bulbs, you know, it completely can, can change your palate. And once you start eating more artichokes, then maybe you get a taste for olives and then maybe you get a taste for capers. And then before you know it, you really have extended the, you know, your sort of tool shed. Yeah, you know? totally. I agree. It's cool. like a, I, I always think about it as like a virtuous spiral. You know, you start in yes. this little tight radius, but the bigger you get, the bigger you can go because each skill builds on itself and each ingredient builds on itself. And you start to see, you know, like culinary synonyms, like, oh, if you don't have capers, you can use olives because they're both like briny and salty and a little savory and like yep. stuff like that, like totally opens minds. You know, y- you mentioned tasting constantly and I think that's such a great tip. Are there any other principles for like building really flavorful food you think folks should know about? Yeah, I do. I think that people really need to like Samin Nosrat always says like salt, fat, acid, heat, you know, mm-hmm. if you're dealing with a really fatty something, understanding that some acid, cutting it with acid is really going to help that flavor come out. Yeah. You know, anything it's like, it's a creamy something, a little bit of a little brightness of a lemon squeeze, just a mm-hmm. tiny little one at the end can do a really great thing. Yeah. Um, I also think that when you're talking about like depth, I think that sometimes people aren't really thinking about building flavor, like in a Legos kind of way, like you got to start with one and really build. So, um, people don't really realize sometimes that heat contributes to a lot of your flavor. And sometimes they just cook the hell out of something, you know, like low and slow is usually the way to go when doing flavor, you know? So I think that like every, wherever your pot is, just turn it a little lower. <laughs> you mm. know? Cause I think like, like low and slow is typically the way to go. Unless of course you're stir frying something or broiling something. But yeah. if you're making a stock or if you're trying to make a soup or, um, a sauce and there's heat required, just like, like slow that heat down a little bit, you yeah. know, especially when we're talking about like vegetables. Yeah. Um, so many people are like, Oh, so if, you know, I try to do something and God, I think I just had the pan too hot. Like, most of the time, the pan is too hot. Hmm. Um, conversely, if you're roasting something, I personally think, and this is like more a tip than like a principle, but like whatever you're roasting, if it's vegetables, that roasting pan should already be hot. Yeah. It should already be hot. Yeah. The oven should be on and the pan should already be hot. Yeah. And that seems like kind of a silly tip, but I promise you it's a game changer. Yeah, agreed. Total game changer for your like actual roast, like roast potatoes. Um, I also think like knowing what things do when you add to them. So like- mm it's important to know what, why do I want to add carrot to this? What does it do for this? Right? Like we know that a mirepoix traditionally is celery, carrot and onion, but like why, you know, I, like I tell people taste a raw onion, taste a raw celery, taste a raw carrot. What do you think those things are there for? What do you think they do for each other? You know, it's like, I I think maybe that sounds silly to someone, but you really don't realize how much like simplifying your palate makes it more able to understand complexity. Yeah. You know, like kind of like those building blocks. Like if you taste broccoli, then you'll know that's why you never add broccoli to stock because it'll make it bitter. Yeah. Right. Like same with cabbages, you know, if you really know what cabbage tastes like, you would never try to add it to your vegetable stock because it will end up bitter. So those sorts of things are really great. But I also think like encouraging flavor doesn't always have to mean like sauce, you know, flavor. You can, why are you making rice with water? Why not use tea to make your rice? You know, like just sort of like thinking outside the box, like Mm -hmm. think of all the liquids there are in the world. Why are you always cooking your rice in water when you can cook it in ginger tea? It'd be delicious in ginger tea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, so like more like more thinking I have one ingredient what am I adding? Oh, I'm adding water. No, no, no. You're adding liquid. 
Yeah. Right? Like, what's your liquid? If yeah. Who says you can't cook rice and orange juice? I don't know what you're serving it with. <laughs> but like, there's, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. Maybe you're making yeah. like a rice pudding that's going with a creamy coconut panna cotta. Like, I don't know. That might be yummy to have orange and rice. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just yeah. saying, I think that like, sometimes when you're, when you're thinking about food, it needs to be a little bit more fun, a, eh? and you just need to look at things more principle based. Yeah. You know, I, like I, there's, you don't have to cook rice and water just cause you've always cooked it in water. You yeah. know, I love that. And when you understand the underlying principles, it enables you to be more creative, but it also enables you to build more flavorful stuff. Cause you know, the why behind everything and like, exactly. Yeah, good cooks always know the why, and then they can riff on stuff and get a little improvisational and that's even more fun, you know? Totally. I mean, I remember working for a chef one time and he told me if, if, if it shouldn't be there, it shouldn't be there. Hmm. Like if you cannot tell me that, that why this ingredient is there, why is it there? If I can't taste it, if I can't smell it, if it is not in some way contributing, then it just don't, what does, why is it there? The same thing as like a plate. You wouldn't put an ingredient on the plate that didn't belong, you know, and chefs that do get in trouble. (laughs) So, you know, like, I just feel like it's, it's important to make sure that when you're cooking something that sometimes people think they need to add 10 spices to something because that's like what chefs do. And I I don't think like the best chefs, like I tell people all the time, when you're going out to a restaurant, order the most simple thing. And if it's good, I bet you all the other stuff will also be good. That's such a good point. Yeah. Like bread and butter. How do you mess up bread and butter? But guaranteed if a place messes up bread and butter, you know, like it's yeah. not, you've got to get the simple stuff easy, like really good, like vegetables. Like if you go somewhere and the vegetables aren't cooked properly, that says something because those are the things with flavor. You want yeah. to make sure you hit those first. So most people that are following me are pretty like vegetable heavy and vegetables yeah. are, they're tough. They're, they're not, they're not, there's a lot of, each, each one has its own rule, yeah. you know, on how you deal, deal with it or handle it. So I think that when you can arm someone with, okay, this is how I cook cauliflower. I know how to deal with it. I know what it tastes like when it's raw and when it's cooked. Now you've got, now you've got your cauliflower book. So now no. it's kind of like go run off and do whatever you need to do with it. Cause you've got, you're armed. Yeah. Really well said. You know, today I'd love to talk about your approach to kind of your followers and the folks that you work with. You know, today you're a big advocate for things like intuitive eating and food journaling, you know, for folks mm-hmm. that haven't tried you know, this approach to food, why does it work and why should they give it a chance? I think it works because you know what you like more than anyone else. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, sometimes what happens, especially with social media, you, maybe you follow someone and they tell you like what I eat in a day and you like do it because you love them and you follow them and you think they're great yeah. and your body's like not a hundred percent. Well, I mean, like, why would it be like you're doing their thing? And you're you. So I think the thing about intuitive eating and food journaling is you really discover what you actually like. And separate from that, maybe most important, what your body really likes and what what you thrive on and what works for you. You know, I have friends who can eat jars of peanut butter and thrive. I can't do that. That doesn't work for me. So I'm not going to try to make that work for me. How do I know that doesn't work for me? Because I've done all the food journaling and intuitively, I don't even want it. I don't even crave that. I don't crave like peanut butter. Like that's not my thing, you know? So I think sometimes we're trying so hard to do what someone else is doing and your body's like already got the answers, you know? Mm. Like I feel like our bodies already sort of know like what we want and what we like and what we don't like. Like when I was a private chef, I had a questionnaire and I would ask people, you know, cause I wanted to figure out what they liked and I was making food for them and I'm in their home and you know, I would say like, do you like mushrooms? And people would say, oh, so I love mushrooms. And I would say like, okay, 
when do you like mushrooms? Like, do you like like a stuffed portobello or do you like like stroganoff? You know what I mean? And like, if somebody was like, oh yeah, like this mushroom and cream sauce, I'm like, all right, you don't really love mushrooms. You just like creamy sauce. You know, Uh, like I think sometimes people like you kind of learn a lot about like, oh wow, do I really love mushrooms or do I like all the components? Yeah. You know what I mean? Or like, like I have friends who can eat just like a jar of pickles in a day. Like that's not Mm. me. Yeah. You know, but their palates are a little bit more acid. They love acid. They want maybe a more acidic salad dressing, all the kimchi. Like for me, I like when things are more on the spicy side. Like I like when something feels more spicy. That's more my palate, you know, like all the Thai food, all the lip numbing, all the Japanese. Like I, if it's spicy, I want it like all over me. I love it. (laughs) That's, that's my palate. So if some person on the internet says like, well, I don't like spicy and spicy is bad for me. What if I listen to them? Hmm. Yeah. Then I'm not listening to my intuition. So I'm not listening to what my body likes and what works for me. And so my food experience maybe isn't as happy or as positive, you know? So I just think it's important to a, figure out what you like, and that's what the food journal's for. Yeah. And B, cook a little bit more intuitively. You know mm. what you already like. You know you like spicy or don't like spicy, or you know you like creamy, or, you know, so I, like I have friends who like want mayonnaise on everything. Yeah. Everything. <laughs> you know? I don't want it anywhere near me. <laughs> so, like, everyone's different, and I just think that that's how, that's a great way to start if you are just completely clueless. Mm. You know, like if you are clueless with your body and clueless with your palate, but you're really interested in cooking, I think a food journal is a great way to start. What do I eat in a week and mm-hmm. how do I feel when I eat it? You know, how do I sleep? How much water am I drinking? Mm. You know, and when I go out to eat, what do I order? What kind of sounds good to me? Yeah. What do I, what am I curious about, but I never order because I'm oh, nervous interesting. about it. Yeah. Those things should be in your food journal. You know, like, why are you, why do you, what are you curious? Why, why, why have you avoided it? Cause you've never had it before. You know, like perhaps like intuitively your palate is drawn to it for whatever reason, hmm. you know? And I mean, I've like, I've had so many people tell me like, Oh my God. So if I thought, I thought I would hate anchovies, but after trusting you, making a sauce with it and then mm-hmm. without it, I know what it does now. And yeah. I know I actually do like anchovies. Maybe I wouldn't eat one just out of the jar, but like I see what they do with cooking. Yeah. And now I and now I use them in tons of things and they add such great flavor that I didn't have before. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's that's such a good point. You gotta yeah. You gotta, I love the idea of just almost giving yourself data points on your own diet. Cause I think a lot of us experience food every day, but not the most thoughtfully, you know, we kind of like shovel it down in between other activities, but if you give yourself a little bit of pause and space and focus about it, it's, it's so interesting to see what you learn. Like I eat this every day or I always think about eating this, but I never actually do. And then like, yeah, yeah. start to interrogate that a little bit. That's, that's so important. It is yeah. important. I, I think I also think like maybe, you know, what does that say about like your body, like the state of your body. Like if you're really thinking about this one thing that maybe you've never even had before, like your body's really smart and it works for you. I mean, like, right. Like our bodies work for us. Like we're the boss. Like if we don't give it something, like it's like, cool, fine. That's fine with me, I guess. You know, like it's not gonna suddenly like our shoulders when they're really tired of carrying bags, don't suddenly decide to like drop the bags. Like they're going to keep holding those bags just until we get a headache. Yeah. You know what I mean? Until we give like attention headache. So yeah. I just think it's important to remember that like ultimately your body's sending you signals at all times anyway. Mm. You know, yep. it's up to us to like, listen, like my body sends me a signal that my shoulder hurts all day, but I, it's up to me. I can ignore it. 
yeah. and keep doing what I'm doing. And I think the same thing happens with food. I think we just need to make sure that we treat food like something that we need. It's, mm. you know, it's an essential thing. Uh, like my definition of wellness is simple. It's like food, air, water, m- movement, sunlight, purpose. Yeah. You know, like food is in there. And yeah. uh, while it's not the, the biggest piece of the pie, it is a very essential piece of the pie. Yeah. And uh, we are the only animals that get to enjoy our food. Hmm. You know, like really enjoy it. We're certainly the only ones that cook that I know of. Yeah. So, you know, I think that if you're going to go out of the way, cook, you're going to do it anyway. You may as well make it something that you really want to eat. Yeah, definitely. Uh, You know, that that totally makes sense. And I love the idea of uh, if you make the right thoughtful change, it actually empowers other thoughtful change. Like we had uh, Sarah Nelson on the podcast from 18 Uh Reasons NSF. And she made this great point that in her her cooking classes, when she uh, has people start to like experiment with making kind of just more of a nutritious breakfast, they almost very often will end up cutting out soda as a result. Because once mm-hmm. they have meaningful energy from food in the morning, then suddenly they don't look to sugar beverages to like prop up their energy in the afternoon because totally. they feel just better about it. And like other these other changes that previously you either didn't know about or weren't willing to do are suddenly like, oh yeah, of course I'm going to do that. It's it's really totally. remarkable. Yeah. yeah, you start, I mean, I feel like you start things bad, they end bad, you know? And I mean, I don't yeah. want to like, I don't, I don't believe that there's like good and bad food and, and a lot of people disagree with me on it. I don't believe there's healthy or unhealthy food. There's healthy bodies and unhealthy bodies and food can either contribute or contribute one way or the other. Right. So like if you have a healthy body, you eat food, it can contribute to the healthy body or it can contribute to making your body unhealthy. But I like to reframe the language around food because I feel like there's this, especially in the wellness world, there's this good and bad thing. And I Mm -hmm. think that like, that isn't safe for a number of reasons because then now you feel guilty when you eat this thing that is food. In fact, pasta is food. It is food, but now it's, it's considered a bad food. So I feel guilty when I eat it, Mm. you know? And I feel like we just need to remember how smart our bodies are. Like they're smart. Like, I'm sorry, if your body cannot handle a bowl of pasta, you're a goner anyway. Like it's, you're, it's going to figure it out. It'll work its way through, you yeah. know, but there's such, there's a lot of fear around certain foods these days, hmm. you know, like I'm scared. Oh my God, what's going to happen if I have fast food? What's going to happen if I have burger? What's going to happen? You know? And I think that it's, especially in the wellness world, it's my responsibility to sort of just like any kind of fear, any kind of like shaming food. I think that I'm, that's a no, no for me. Like, yeah. especially since a chef, like I'm a chef, like, listen, you want me to make you a burger? It'll be the best burger you ever had. I yeah. don't really care. Does I don't, I don't eat burgers. It doesn't mean you can't eat a burger. And it doesn't mean when you do have a burger, you shouldn't really enjoy that burger. Yeah. So, you know, I'm, I'm really conscious and mindful about food shaming. And I'm also conscious and mindful about accessibility. Mm. And that's a really big conversation. I'm a black woman. I live in Brooklyn. Yeah. Like, you know, there are huge, big, huge, massive areas in New York that don't have access to a lot of things, not just food. I mean, like things we need, food, water, clean air, any kind of resource for transportation. So it's important to make sure that when you are having the food conversation to just be mindful of like what people have access to and what they don't, you know? Yeah. 
It's a huge one for me. Yeah, no, that's super well said. We had Olympia offset on the podcast from supermarket in Los Angeles and she really, uh, yeah, she's amazing. She put on a clinic about food accessibility and food apartheid in LA and really opened a lot of minds. And uh, yeah, it's so important to think about because in, in every major Metro in every state in this country, the the same disparity is playing out. And so we, we owe it to ourselves and our neighbors to really be aware of this stuff. And she put it really well also that food deserts aren't just food deserts, they're design deserts, they're art deserts, they're entrepreneurship deserts. So Mm -hmm. these, you know, these opportunities or these outcomes, all of us, I think would say we want are all interconnected. So if one is Mm -hmm. impeded, it's very likely others are also impeded. So yeah. Oh my gosh. I say it all the time, you know, like the, the, you know, the, the goods and bads of gentrification, you know, like I live in the area that I live in and it's pawn shops, liquor stores, you know, and that's on purpose. So, you know, it's important to make sure that like, I always feel like people say, so what can I do? And I'm like, okay, well, I don't know if you went to college and you have a marketing degree, why not like say, Hey, you know, I've got two free hours this week. I would love to share some of the information that I learned in college with anyone who needs to know it. There are Mm. many people in these neighborhoods. They did not have access to college. And they want to open up their own restaurant. Yeah. They want, I mean, just because there's no restaurants in, in an area doesn't mean that the people that live there don't want to make their own. They just don't have the resources. Yeah. So I tell people all the time, like volunteer. There's a, like, yes, you can give food, you can give money, but gosh, your brain can be its own wonderful, yeah. wonderful resource. You know, you can come through and say, hey, I have IT knowledge or budget knowledge or, you know, um, angel investor knowledge. And I can just, let's, let's have, let's hang out for three hours. And then you don't have to move to that neighborhood and open up an avocado toast joint. They that already live there, mm-hmm. they can open up their own avocado toast joint, you know? So, <laughs> what a concept. <laughs> yeah, I no, just think uh, that like, you know, it's interchangeable. It's all yeah. information. That's really well said. Uh, something I've taken away from COVID recently is, is remembering how powerful bartering is. Uh, you know, I've started doing little exchanges mm-hmm. with friends. Like if someone helps get groceries, I'll like leave out some like homemade kombucha for them or like a little <laughs> treat that I made. And it's like amazing to think, I would say it's a micro example, but there is so much yeah. you can do for others that doesn't require a ton of money or time necessarily it just requires nope. to your point with cooking, uh, intent and a little bit of foresight, you know, and totally yeah. like, Oh, wow. Maybe there is somebody out there and like, what's two hours Yeah, <laughs> to, to give someone, I mean, think about that. I mean, gosh, yeah. two hours is like, it's such, such a great amount of time to download, you know? Yeah. I mean, I know that even for me when I was starting out, like independent contractor, like I remember asking one of my friends who was a bookkeeper, like, and feeling so embarrassed, but like 1099s, W9s, exemptions, like just two hours. And I felt so empowered. I, yeah. it was literally the difference between me wanting to start my business, get an LLC or not get an LLC. Hmm. It was just two hours with someone to sit and walk me through that because I didn't have access to that information as a young person. No one taught me how to do that stuff. So, you know, I just think that it's important to think about resources, very nonlinear, you know, like resources don't have to be like what, like money, water, you know, like your brain is a huge resource and it's, I mean, it's invaluable knowledge. I mean, there's the internet, Instagram. I mean, anything you want to know, it's out there. Anything. Yeah. You don't need to go to culinary school anymore. I don't care what it is. There's a video on YouTube so teaching true. you how to do it. 
Do you know what I'm saying? It's Mm -hmm. kind of wild. Yeah, it's super wild. You know, you touched on some stuff about the wellness industry. I think is really interesting. Um, Obviously, it's a very dynamic space. It's changing seemingly every minute. Uh, You know, I've been an observer of it for a while, both personally and also, you know, through work uh, at Imperfect. What what are some things you think are really going well in wellness? And what are some things, I mean, you touched on a couple, like maybe accessibility, but what are some things you'd like to see kind of go a different direction? I mean, again, I I think some language shifts need to happen. This good and bad food thing I don't love, but I do see that shifting. Mm -hmm. I will say, I think there's, it's like, there's definitely, um, yeah, there's definitely a key shift there for sure on, um, how people are sort of, I like the word reframing, they're reframing things because there used to be kind of like the naughty list, you know? Um, also we've got a really educated consumer now. Consumers know I know kale is good for me. What else? I know celery is good for me. What else? Mm-hmm. You know, like you have a really educated consumer and I love that. And I think that's forcing brands, like particularly in the wellness space to really be like, Oh wow, we got to, we got to know what we're talking about because consumers know consumers are ready to fact check. Yep. They are ready to look it up and call you out on it. So I think that that's good and bad in, in some ways. Cause I, I don't like cancel culture. Mm. Brands make mistakes. People make mistakes. I'm not a big cancel culture fan. Like yeah. you're not perfect. No one's perfect. Everybody has, has, has a right to mess up. Um, so, you know, I don't love that, but I do love how educated consumers have become. Yeah. I think it's really great to have an educated audience. I feel super lucky to have one. Um, so that's something that I think is really, really great. Also think like there's a, there's a lot more value in transparency than there used to be. Yeah. People love a brand that admits them it made a mistake. People love a company that's made a mistake. And so I really see a cool transparency trend in the wellness space, whether it's like girls being real about what they actually eat or what their bodies look like, or, you know, like, um, what it's like to run a business, like being really Mm. open and transparent about how freaking hard it is. Yeah. Uh, you know how hard it's hard to like take care of yourself, you know? Um, so I'm loving that. Um, I, I, I want to see, personally, a little bit more focus on less, less like what people look like and more about what people feel like. Mm. I think that that's a really good one. And I also think like wellness is only, you're only as well as like your neighbor, you Mm. know? So I feel like community is a really big part of that. So, and I do see it happening a little bit, but I think that I, I would love to start seeing brands really kind of offering incentives. Like if you get, you know, if you get groceries for like your neighbor, then we'll give you a discount. You know, like if you get groceries for like two people in your building and we'll give you a discount. Like, I just want there to be a little bit more like sharing yeah. involved, you know, not so much like, like, listen, all the infrared sauna, all the tonics, tinctures, I love all that stuff. I love it. But if my neighborhood can't afford it, then like, you know, like, I think that it's great, but it's still like a wellness is for sale kind of thing. But like yeah. being nice to people is free. It costs you mm-hmm. $0 to be a good person. So I just think they're like $0, like $0 no, yeah. to not be a jerk, you know? <laughs> so I, I just want there to be like a little bit more focus on like wellness, that being part of wellness, like actually taking care of each other mm. should also be like focus, not yeah. just like 
having really luxurious hair and good skin. Hmm. That's you know? such a great point. Yeah. The, yeah. I've seen that uh, too, to your point that I guess at its worst wellness can kind of boil down to this individualistic elite exercise of privilege where it's essentially sure. like I have the time and money to go to these fancy spas, buy these fancy skin creams, eat organic produce, do all these, mm-hmm. you know, fancy uh, spin class or whatever that enables you yeah. to look uh, in a way that Instagram deems appealing and you get the stamp of like, wow, you're an attractive person. And that's almost totally. like the worst of all of those subcategories. You know, it's boiled yeah. down to what is essentially a really superficial in to your point, individualistic mm-hmm. outcome. So I love what you've said that one, like kindness should be part of wellness, right? Like it sounds like maybe totally. the foundation to all this. The impetus, the genesis of wellness should be like, taking care of each other, yeah. you know, like, I feel like, I mean, at least that's what it is for me. Yeah, uh, you yeah. know, like I don't, I'm never like, Ooh, like what can I do to look perfect? Yeah. But it feels like sometimes that's the messaging, Yeah, you know? And that's, it. I always say like, if that's your messaging, different industry, make it not wellness industry. I, mm-hmm. I'm fine with that. Like if perfection that belongs somewhere else, yeah. You know, I just don't think that belongs in the wellness industry. Mm. I'm not shaming it. It's like when makeup girls shame skincare girls. <laughs> girls are like, oh, oh my God, why are you wearing all that makeup? It's like, who cares if they, listen, I like, am I someone who would take an hour to put on makeup? Are you kidding? I can't take like three minutes to put on makeup. But why does that mean I have to say something negative about it? Like, who cares? Yeah. You know, it takes me an hour to do my skincare routine at night. I'm like one of those people, but like, what is the difference between an hour of skincare or an hour of makeup? Yeah. You know, like we just don't need any more stuff. We don't need any more things to be mad at each other about, or like, oh, you do that and not this. And like, you know, like I don't do a spin class, but I love going on a run. That's yeah. my jam, yeah. you know? So like, I don't want to feel like though, when I go on Instagram, that there's only one way to reach the apex hmm. and it is this spin clap, you know, like, yeah. I just feel like sometimes the branding is just like, not, it's just not things just need to be ultimately cause driven. Hmm. If you are cause driven, that for me is like the sexy wellness thing. Like that yeah. I hope is the future brand starting because there is a need. We have a need imperfect, perfect example. We have so much food going to waste. Yeah. Let's fix that issue. That is like cause-based, you know, or like the billion, um, what is it? The billion oyster project. Hmm. Yeah, we, yeah. Our, our oceans are sick. The oysters are a big, I, you know, they're a huge part of how the ocean cleans itself. So how do we get more oysters in the ocean? Oh my gosh. We go to the restaurants where they serve oysters. We collect their shells and we throw them back in the ocean. That's a business, yeah. but it's cause driven. It yeah. makes sense. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Blue land. Well, every single time someone goes to the grocery store, what do they buy? Cleaning supplies. What are those cleaning supplies in? Plastic bottles. Let's create a cleaning product that's in a paper bag. And all you got to do is add water right? It's cause focused. And I just hope that in the future, wellness is a little bit more cause driven because there are many causes. We have a lot of issues, right? The sargasm seaweed, oceans are dying. Oh my gosh. What can we make with seaweed? Maybe we'll make soaps. Maybe we can learn how to take seaweed and turn it into like clothing, you know, like brands just being a little bit more mindful of like the planet and, and the causes that the planet you know, like nine one one planet, yeah. like important. 
and maybe making a brand focused on that. And I think they'll find because humans really do want to care about the planet that people will support you. Yeah. You know, like brands want to, or excuse me, consumers want to support brands that are doing good things. Yeah. Period. Then you won't have to like have the sexy girl with her like six pack abs, like selling your product. Your product will sell itself Hmm. because in fact it's good and people want to do good, you know, because like I said, consumers now are smart. They don't want to buy a single use plastic. They don't want, you know, like they want to, people are finding creative ways to use olive oil bottles and creative ways to, to reuse mason jars and creative ways to reuse all kinds of things. So the last thing people might want to buy or contribute in is a single use plastic item, you yeah. know? So I just think that if finding something that's a miss, a hole, in the world somewhere and finding a way to be innovative enough and conscious and mindful enough to create a product that fits in there. That's the future of wellness to me. Just being a lot more mindful about the planet. I love that. I want to get that like printed out. Your your monologue you just said, that was was amazing. No, I totally agree. And that's all really important stuff for us to to sit with and and think about is, is, yeah, how can we unpack this and make it more inclusive, more productive and, and really work for more people. So it's not just like this one size fits all selling of one type of body or one type of diet or one type of lifestyle. Yeah, that's not going to get us anywhere. You know, you, you touched on food waste, which I love, obviously, because it's central to, to <laughs> yeah. my heart and my passion and our mission here at Imperfect. You know, how are some ways you try to reduce waste in your personal life? Oh my gosh. Well, first off, we just, we just like don't, we like in my house, like we don't throw things away. I don't know. Like there's just no food waste in my house. Like whether it's like, (laughs) like whether it's like even those like little peelings of like celery when I'm doing Mm -hmm. like a raw celery, like I literally use those in a broth at the very least things are in a compost bin, you know, like it's just like for me when food's about to go, it's almost, it's most flavorful. You know, like that's like my jam. Like, Mm. I mean, my boyfriend's got grow boxes. So, I mean, the the compost is thriving out here. But um, banana peels, orange peels, even like citrus peels, orange peels, like I'm curing those. Like I'm making lemon salt with them. I'm making orange salt with that stuff. Like, you know, there's just no waste. Like even like coffee grounds. My boyfriend's a coffee drinker, like making body scrubs out of it. Like every single thing that, ha- that comes into my house. I'm trying to figure out a way for it. And for the most part, for me, it's like, I, you know, it's like really, a really, really easy, like short of like maybe like the core of an apple going in my compost for the most part, even my compost is pretty slim, Yeah. you know, like I want everyone to know that they should never be throwing away their mushroom stems ever because they're the most delicious addition to any kind of stock or broth yeah. and will set your miso soup free. Delicious. I mean, so good. You know, um, same with like, like orange zest and orange peels. Like little do people know that they can take those orange peels and pack them in salt and make the most delicious salt in the universe Yeah, that will completely change the flavor of all your food. You want to talk about changing like the best chocolate in the world is like a piece of chocolate with like big, huge hunks of like orange salt on top of it. Oh, like, wow. Are you kidding? Game yeah. changer, game changer. So anything that you have, you can also like, I remember for a while, I was like pickling apple cores because when you pickle them, you can eat all the way through them. You know, like there are just tons of just really great ways that you can use those food wastes. And most of them for me are in soups, stews, stocks, tisanes, 
teas, you know, all of that stuff, like just great flavor boosters. There's no reason why I can't reuse this tea bag and put it in a scrub. And I mean, I have, I mean, who doesn't have a million glass jars? You know, you have them. (laughs) You brew your tea instead of dumping it in the trash or putting it in the sink, you just open up the tea bag and dump it into a jar. And before you know it, you have a beautiful scrub. That's great for your body. You know, so it's just like the repurposing of things. People forget that part of the recycle cycle is reusing part of it. It's part of it. (laughs) It's the the second most important one behind (laughs) reducing your consumption. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, like it's okay to reuse things. Nothing's going to happen. You know, also like, I think a big one is like the, you know, when you start to see your produce going bad, people forget about the power of blanching. You know, Mm. your spinach is about to go blanch it for 20 seconds in hot water, lay it to dry on a, on a rag, pop it in a freezer safe bag. And now you have frozen spinach or frozen basil or broccoli or whatever for the year. It lasts a whole year, you know? So I, I don't see any reason why you ever even need to buy frozen vegetables in plastic. Yeah. You can just make your own. <laughs> you can make your own. You know, it's really f- just a funny uh, personal aside here is that right when the COVID thing hit, I was like video chatting with my brother and he had in his like COVID prepping urge um, frozen all of his vegetables to do to your point, like to make frozen yeah. vegetables for the duration. However, what he forgot was that he literally froze all of them. So he had no <laughs> fresh vegetables to eat. <laughs> so then he had to like immediately grab them. Go to the store. Yeah. Oh <laughs> He's like, my God. Yeah. That is so funny. Oh yeah. This thing I I just froze. Uh, here we go. Like, well, oh. I mean, it's like me, like all the ice cube trays, my ice cube, my, my ice cube trays are just always filled. Yeah. Always filled, always filled with some kind of pesto or sauce or like eggs about to go bad. Freeze them. Like, uh, you know, like I just have so many things when it comes to like the, the, Oh, this is about to go bad. Let me use my imagination. Yeah. You know, like, what can I do here? What can I add this to? And yeah. I, I, I mean, the leftover meal is kind of like my favorite meal. Like a little half an onion, three quarters of a jalapeno. Like that, that just means it's stir fry for dinner. Like totally. that's, that's, you know. It's an invitation to creativity. And and yeah, again, I've found recently through having to just be a scrappier cook because I'm not going to the store every week mm-hmm. and I've got these kind of assorted leftovers to work through constantly now. It's like, uh, yeah, I've become more creative and that's actually been a positive for me. It's like, yes, it's required totally. an adjustment, but I think I'm just objectively at a better place now with food than I was before. And that oh, totally. I, didn't, I didn't ask for that, but it happened and it's actually been really great. So it yeah. is really great. It's nice. Like I don't now, I mean like for a while, like I didn't want to go to the store and like I ran out of vinegars, but I had, I still had jars of pickles and pickles have pickle liquid and pickle liquid makes delicious salad dressing, mm-hmm. you know? So like, here I am like, you know, for a second, I'm like, Oh darn, I wish I had a lemon. But like little did anyone know that like when you're trying to braise a pan with shrimp, that pickle juice Mm. is so delicious. Oh my God. It was so good. I was making, I was like braising shrimp and usually I would normally like use like white wine or a lemon. And I just used the pickle, the pickle liquid. And it was so, I mean, like worth buying a jar of pickles just for the liquid to do it again. It was so good. I'm into that. Yeah. It was so good. And so again, that goes back into principles, understanding why you use something, understanding why you want to use an acid to braise a pan. Once you know why, take your pick. Maybe you've got some sauerkraut liquid. You know, we talked about capers. Maybe you've got leftover pickle liquid from some other thing you pickled. Um, But that's, again, what's why I feel if, if food waste is something you really want to combat, then you really need to understand principles of why you use a thing. Yep. Once you have those, there's no reason for you to ever have food waste because you know what the ingredient, where it fits principle wise, yeah. you know how to use it, you know? And I, and I, and it is 
something I'm so passionate about and people aren't going to stop eating. So, you know, if people aren't going to stop eating and the food waste already is what it is, then we have some major repurposing and reframing and shifting that we need to do with how we treat our food. Why are we peeling everything? You know, like what's, what is, like what, what carrot, potato, sweet potato offended you so deeply (laughs) that made you believe that you have to peel, you know, six inches of, of like potato off in order to like have a perfectly perfect potato, you know, just like, like that fiber is good for you. It's there for a reason. You know what I'm saying? So, and it's also like, I'm hoping that, you know, accessibility of ingredients you know, biodiversity is the best thing for your gut. And I'm hoping that people are, are getting a little bit more adventurous as consumers. Like I'm so sick of people not eating radicchio or treviso or rocket arugula, these like spicier things, you know, mm-hmm. there's vitamin K blood builders are so good for you yep. and they go to waste most of the time. Yeah. You know, on is another one that most yeah. people like that. They don't like the flavor, you know, and you know, because there's, those are the crops that really are wasted. You know, cucamelons, Mexican mm. sour melons, things like that. People don't eat them. Yeah. You know, because they just, their palates aren't accustomed to it because they're not eating it. Yeah. So for me, though, that's just something that I, I think about all the time, which is a big reason why on top of everything that I do, like ingredient highlights are really important. Yeah. Very important. You know, it's really important that people see new ingredients, understand what they taste like. Don't just take pictures of them, actually buy them. You know, because the farmer already grew them. They're at the farmer's market. Let's buy them, you know? And so many of my farmer friends are like, yeah, no one buys cranberry beans (laughs) or like whatever, whatever kind of thing. No one buys them. So we don't bring many or we don't grow that many. And I'm like, oh my God, people have no idea how dark, like Barlotti beans are delicious. They have no idea because they don't buy them. Hmm. So I just want people buying more food and experimenting more. Yeah. If you broaden your ingredient palette and your repertoire, then it's a lot harder to waste stuff because you know how to use more stuff. I think, yeah, that's such a great point. You know, I'd love, I'd love to wrap us up kind of where we started actually, like coming all the way back around the horn here, Mm -hmm. which is that uh, obviously we're in this new normal phase, right? With COVID going on. And I think one thing I really admire about your content is not just that it's informative and grounding people in food principles, but it's also remarkably positive and kind of grounded in a way that I think a lot of us need, especially right now. So, you know, as we're all adapting, like what advice do you have for folks out there who might be kind of struggling with stress or anxiety right now? Well, A, like give that to yourself because I think that we're all just sort of like taking time bombs if we don't. So I do think it's important to like hold space for anxious and hold space for stress. Yeah. You know, this sounds silly, but I always just say, whatever you're feeling, put it in your calendar. You know, Mm. like people don't miss something when they put it on their calendar. When you put that on your calendar, you're going to remember, you're going to show up. So put 30 minutes of stress time on your calendar. For this 30 minutes, I will stress the heck out. Once it's (laughs) over, it's over. It's done. It's not time for stress anymore. What else do you have to do right now? You mm-hmm. know, like if you were privileged enough to be able to be at home during quarantine, because there are so many people that aren't, yeah. there are people that actually have essential jobs that have to go to work. Well, I mean, uh, people experiencing homelessness, et cetera. Yep. If you are someone who you're at home 
and you're feeling anxious, give yourself space for it. Yep. Because I feel like if we don't, then we're just, oh, it's just delayed. It's just going to, you're just going to explode later on. Um, another thing I do, and this sounds really kind of kitschy and like silly, but I create, I am happy lists. Mm-hmm. And a big reason I do that, and it's, it's not a, a girly cutesy journaly thing. It's serious because people don't realize what makes them feel anxious about this is the lack of control. Hmm. There's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing I can do. Even if you go out, nothing's open. Even, you know what I'm saying? There's nothing you can do about it. And that lack of control is scary and creates the anxiety because you're just walking around your house because there literally is nothing else you can do. So I like to write, what do I love? What am I happy about? And what am I in control of? I am in control of my home. I am in control of when I take a shower, when I don't take a shower, who I reach out to, how I reach out to someone, the way in which I reach out to someone. You're in control of all of those things and practice them. You know, like now is the time. I think this is also a great time to rekindle relationships. Yeah. If you've had a grudge, this is a great time to remember time is per- time is not permanent. Yeah. Like we are all impermanent. Time is, oh my God. Time is definitely passing and it doesn't care about us really. (laughs) So, you know, like I think if you have a relationship that needs some work, maybe a coworker, someone that you used to see every day that maybe you have a little bit of a problem with, I think this is a great time to say, Hey, so-and-so could we talk, you know, like we haven't been at work and I think I'm thinking about you and there's just some things that I'd like to address. There's some stuff I'd like to work through or et cetera, et cetera. I just feel like reframing it and treating it like a time that you can kind of get your ducks in a row, cross T's, dot I's, whether it's in your personal life, your financial life, home life, relationship life, all that stuff is a really great, and I don't like to use the word productive, but I think it's a really great sort of grace way to handle this time, you know, because a lot of us are not giving ourselves any kind of grace. Hmm. We're being very hard on ourselves. We lost our job. We got laid off rent, tax deferment, all of these like crazy, scary, scary things. But we're also forgetting that like, at least for now, if you're listening to this podcast, you, you must have Wi-Fi, you know, you must yeah. have internet. You can make a phone call. Yeah. You can try to rekindle a relationship or, you know, just chit chat it up with a friend you went to high school with and haven't talked to for forever. Yeah. And those are some things that work for me. And the list writing is also great because I'm a list person. Yeah. So if you're a list person, then I just encourage you to just sit and write a list. And once you have a list, then you can go back and read it anytime you get anxious. Yeah. You know, and that kind of mantra it to yourself, you know, I mean, there's a million things. Some people work out. That's not my jam. That doesn't make me feel better, really. It passes the time, but it doesn't make me feel less anxious, really, you mm. know? Um, but I do think like just taking the moment to feel how I feel is like really, really great. Give myself permission to not cook or cook all day, you know, whatever. Yeah. I love yeah. that. That's, that's really well hey. said. Put, put stuff to paper. No, that's, I've, I've tried that in the past and it's really mm-hmm. helpful. If something is buzzing around your brain, like an angry hornet, write it down at the write very, down. at the very worst case, you'll understand it slightly better, but sometimes it'll actually help it suddenly not be scary or you'll see the solution by, you know, especially if there's something you write down in your journal and you notice it's like a pattern, like every week, yeah. you're like, I just feel like I don't have enough time. It's like, all right, you got to rethink your schedule. You're clearly overcommitted in some level, right? It's like, yeah. oh, wow. Like all it took was writing that down to to at least start to solve some of the stuff or at least make peace with what it is. You know, wow. I Right now, this year, I'm overscheduled and I might not be able to change that, but at least I, I'm, I've made peace with that or can recognize it for what it is and not like this abstract thing up in the brain for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, awareness is everything. I mean, I talk about that with food journaling and stress journaling, which is also something I talk about. It's like you, for one week, write down everything that stresses you out and then look at it. You're going to, you'll see patterns, Yep. you know, like, oh God, my best friend, Bethany, she's so funny. She hates her commute. And every single day, she, every single day she complained about her commute. But I, I told her, I said, you know, turns out Bethany, you only complain about your commute when you're on the way to work. All these other times you never really complained about your commute, like when you went to all these other places. So she's like, oh my God, turns out I hate my job. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's like, oh, okay. You know, so like writing things down, it's like, okay, yeah. good to know. But like, she's like something that never even had dawned on her. Like, it's yeah. like, I, I don't like my commute only when I'm on the way to this place I don't like. Yeah. But otherwise I love my commute. I love hmm. a long train ride, you know? So I just think that it's like really good to kind of, even if you don't write stuff down, like pen and paper, I do. I like that long format. That's really nice for me. Um, but you have a computer, you have a phone, you know, if you want to like, sometimes too, like, um, something my boyfriend and I do to kind of help us, like we make playlists, we have them going, you know, we have like a million quarantine dream playlists, you know, for various moods, like just finding a way to alleviate the pressure as much as you can. Just a little steam hole, you know, is all we're after. There's not going to be anything that's going to be 100% cure-all until we're able to turn back on the country. And I think that that's also very helpful for me. At Mm. the end of the day, self, until everything's back and running, we're probably not going to feel 100% and that's okay. Really well said. That's a a really great note to wrap up here on. I'd love to get to the speed round, which are some fun closer questions. Are you ready to go? I'm ready. Amazing. Okay. Uh, Is there anything you would encourage folks listening to follow up with or explore on their own time? Yes. Slowing down to eat and uh, writing down like a grateful list when you're eating. When you're eating your food, what are you grateful for? Like I'm grateful for the grocery store that had it, the farmer that made it, the farmer that planted it, like all of those things. I know that sounds really, really silly but it'll make you appreciate your food so much more. I also think it's a really great thing to do with your kids. Kids are more likely to do something like that. So if you're home with your kids right now, talk to your kids about what's on their plate and all the work it took for it to get there. It's really important. Really well said. What's a positive change you've made in your life in the past year that you think folks listening should try? Um, I tried something new that I really wasn't good at for a really long time and I stuck with it. And I think that that's like, I'm really bad at ceramics and I've been sticking to it, like really been sticking to it. And after like 15 classes, I'm finally a little bit better. And I think that it's taught me a lot about consistency and doing things you don't want to do and how important that is for your spirit. So that's a big one. Like things you're, it's, it's so good to do things you're not good at. Yeah. So good. Definitely. And if you're cooking for somebody and you want to make them feel loved, what are you going to make for them? I'm going to make for them whatever they want. Like it's, it's not about me. If you're hungry, I will feed you, but you got to tell me what you want. And I mean, in, 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 in minutia detail, exactly what you want. And I want to make that exactly for you because when I'm cooking for someone, I work for them and I love it. Amazing. Uh, what ingredient could you not live without? Oh, miso. Awesome. And Mm -hmm. what's your least favorite thing to waste? Oh, mushrooms. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Go to karaoke song. Uh, Anything Donna Summer. (laughs) Awesome. And who's somebody you admire tremendously and what do you admire about them? Um, My manager, Marissa Caputo. Uh, She's the most incredible woman in this entire world. She's like the big sister I always wanted. She's taught me a lot about 
self love and self value and also I don't I, she's one of the probably the very few and maybe even like the first person that's taught me how 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 great I am even like though I'm like an ordinary person like anyone she's really taught me a lot about like individual greatness how each person brings a really wonderful greatness to the world and I just I don't know how I would exist without her I love her so much Amazing. And yeah. finally, what are you grateful for this week? Oh, this week? I, oh, I'm like, oh, that's such, a, it seems like such a big question, but like, I'm really grateful, not just this week, but just the quarantine, because it's my brain thinks quarantine is like all one big long week, but I guess I'm just the most grateful that... This is a, this is a, it's a hard question. What am I most grateful for this week? Like, it's like all one big week. I feel like I've not really done anything this week. <laughs> like it's a mega in, in, week. It's like, yes, it's been a week that's lasted a month long. Like I, I mean, I am just so grateful for the people that are essential. And I'm so grateful that they're doing the work that they're doing because if they don't do that work, then I don't get to go back to work. Then yeah. what is it? 12 million people we're at now unemployed, 12 million, 10 million, 15, whatever. However many million people don't get to go back to work without these essential people. And yeah. I just, I'm so grateful for them. I've never been more grateful for a nurse. And I was so grateful for them before. Oh my God. I was like so grateful for a doctor before, but I've never been more grateful for like the guys that work at the grocery store. Yeah. Like, I like, that's like, that's my answer. I know that sounds weird, but like, I'm so grateful that I can still go to the wild by nature in my neighborhood, that yeah. my neighborhood grocery store is still open throughout this entire thing. These employees put themselves at risk every day and they do it so that I can have food so that we can have food. So like, that's my gratitude. Amazing. Yeah. Sophia Rowe, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can folks learn more about you and the work that you do? So you can go to my website. My website's on my Instagram. Um, it's just Sophia underscore row and I'm on YouTube, but mostly active on Instagram. Instagram is such a fun platform. So yeah. Awesome. And we'll have links to everything we talked about today in our show notes and on our website, unwastedpodcast.com. And if you have any questions or comments, just shoot us an email at feedback at unwastedpodcast.com. Sophia Rowe, thank you so much. It's been a true pleasure. Of course. You're welcome. 